actually, sorry. No worries. Hello everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Adoption Adventures. Thank you as always for tuning in. Um, I am fully aware that you've had to listen to me a lot of late, talking about little dude going off to university, so I thought I'd bring us a guest, because you've not had a guest for a while, so I thought I'd bring a guest, but instead we got two, so <laughs> it was wonderful. Um, so without further ado, I'm going to introduce you to this week's episode's guest, so Helen and Fiona, welcome. Nice to, nice to see you, Richard. <laughs> Hi there. Yeah, nice um, so, Helen, would you like to introduce yourself first and then we'll move on to introduce ourselves to Fiona? No problem. So I'm Helen Minnis. I'm a child and adolescent psychiatrist and um, I'm also a scientist and I've been interested for a long time in uh, working with families where the child's been adopted or fostered, particularly if children have I've had experiences of early abuse mm. and neglect. That's me. Amazing, thank you. And Fiona? Hi, I'm Fiona Lettis. I'm an adoptive parent of two young men who are now 27 and 30. Um, and I've worked with Helen on several research projects over the years. Amazing, thank you. And thank you so much for, for joining us. Um, so I met um, Helen and Fiona probably around about a month ago now um, we were in a meeting together where they was introducing our um, sort of agency to their study um, the right study um, and the idea behind it and they wanted to let us know what the study was and to promote it to, to other families as soon as they started talking I realized that this is something that you would all want to hear about so I invited them on to, to the podcast to, to talk about it so Helen would you like to just give us an overview of what the right study is yes no problem so it's the relationships in good hands trial and the title really says it because we're really trying to uh, find out the best way of helping adoptive and foster families get get the relationship into their hands, really. DDP, Developmental Psychotherapy, with services as usual, which is many and varied across the UK. In some areas, it's mainly led by social workers. In other areas, there are additional therapies that are offered. So um, we're trying to recruit um, 140 families of children in adoptive or permanent foster placements aged 5 to 12. Mm. Uh, these can be children who've got mental health problems or relationship problems um, that are associated with the difficulties that they experienced before they went into the adoptive and foster placements. Fantastic. Sounds really, really good. Awesome. Thank you. The Centre on the Developing Child came up with a serve and return that, that you know, ordinary parent-child interaction should be like an easy tennis match between good old friends on a Sunday afternoon. You don't even really work out who's serving and returning, except in parent-child interaction, it should really be the child that's serving. So it's, you know, it's, even with little babies, the baby kind of goes, eh, and the parent goes, ah, you know, so we follow as parents. And what I've noticed when you, when you look at children who've experienced real difficulties in early life, especially if they've had abuse, abuse or neglect, and they're not good at signaling their needs, they don't serve. And then the poor old parent is damned if they do and damned if they don't, because either they don't serve back, which is actually the sensitive thing to do. And in that case, people criticise them because there's no interaction. You know, yeah. There's no <laughs> non-verbal. Non and then if, if they serve, 
people say, but they're being intrusive because it doesn't feel like, it doesn't feel right. And what I say to the, my colleagues, if I'm training them to, to rate the videos, if it feels like a bad date, then often there's something really wrong in the interaction. Yeah. And that's for parents because that means there's nothing really that, that you can easily do right without help. Yeah, yeah. And I think... <laughs> I think you're absolutely right there, Helen. I think it can be really, really stressful, can't it, when you're hopeful that you're doing everything right, but you're still learning yourself and then you're still not quite sure if what you're doing is right and then you're not getting back what you think you're supposed to and then the textbook says this and <laughs> you just don't get that. It's, it is quite the challenge, isn't it? And And I think... Like I say, particularly in the early days, you're you're always second guessing yourself because you want to do what's best for these children, but you're not always sure what that is. Mm-hmm. And it's not always obvious because because if you didn't if you, if you weren't loving a child who's had a really difficult early start, it would would actually probably be instinctive. And it's not your fault that it's not. It's because the child's not giving you. They've they've kind of learned not to give you what we just get that interaction going. And it's been so lovely talking to you, Fiona, over the years about, you know, you've just given me so many examples over the years of how you just gradually kind of warmed up your boys and and got that interaction going. And, and it were really, I mean, we did get some help with my, my younger son. We were part of a, a sort of pioneering trial when he was 12, I think, um, and as some DDP. And it was actually... It was the little things that made a huge difference. You know, I can remember the first time we went into the CAMS office, apart from the, the perennial problem with CAMS is, should you be able to sit together? Should there be chairs pushed together? Or just, I mean, all that carry on going on. But we got there and, and my, my younger son, he, you know, he had his, his school uniform on because he was going to have to go to school. He had a hoodie on, he had his jacket on, then he took his dad's jacket and put that on and he had his hood up. And he he was just not for being there and really, really... I was really upset with one of the therapists who said he's such a sad boy and I felt just completely responsible. I thought this sad boy, it was horrible, a horrible feeling. And then through... And it was... It might have looked as if it was minuscule stuff. Um, by the end of it, in in a few months' time, he he was able to say that going to the football um, to watch Dundee United, which makes it even stranger, with his dad and his cousins was pure love. He, that's the phrase. Going there was pure love for him. He could not express those emotions when he started doing that work. And it was just focusing in that it was Waterloo Road was a big thing at that time, you know, back in the day, the first series and so on, that he would, if I wasn't in by some chance, we liked watching it together, that he would record it for me. And it was that was made into a big thing. Wow, you remember to record that for your mum so you could watch it together. It was those little sort of moments of intimacy promoting that, which was... I think really helpful for us as a family because I suppose that far back we didn't really even talk about block trust and block care, did we? At that, that time, we you know we know that children have you know we we talk about that much more openly that these, this population of children don't in the main 
because of their early life experience, they, they do struggle to trust adults. But we didn't really discuss about block care in the same sort of way. But actually doing those little things differently made a big shift in our relationship, is what I would say. Yeah. And I, I guess that, that sort of leads us back to what right is, is looking to achieve, isn't it? It's, am I right in thinking that it's, it's looking to actually introduce those subtle little things that you can start to put into family life to, to make the bigger differences for, for your children? Well, I think, I think the, the question is, you know, that's what DDP aims to do. And the question is, does it work? And it was actually Fiona's youngest son. Fiona, Fiona's uh, youngest is, I'm delighted to say, a member of our Young People's Advisory Group. And he looked at the grant application when we were writing it. He said, wait a minute, you look as if you just know that DDP is going to work and you're just trying to prove it. <laughs> I was like, oh my goodness, because that's not, that's not the way you want to go into a, a study. You've got to be open-minded. Yeah. And he pointed out, he, he reminded us that when he had actually had to go every week on a Tuesday to therapy, he had a lot of explaining to do for the boys in his class. He said, you know, my mum and dad were having to explain that to their employers too. So so in our trial, what we're trying to do is we're trying to basically find out whether DDP is not only effective, but cost effective. And, and when we say costs, we're also talking about costs to the family. Yeah. You know, it's a lot to get your family to therapy once a week. Um, and so we really want to find out, does it work and is it worth it for families? Which I think is going to be a really, really interesting sort of investigation um because you're absolutely right you know it's i've been on training courses where ddp has been promoted it's been sort of spoken about in a very positive way um we've never been on ddp training but i'm loosely aware of it and and what it means to to us so i guess i guess it's going to be interesting isn't it to see if if it is the the program that we all think it is <laughs> um for for our listeners who perhaps don't understand what DDP is, um, can either one of you give me like a, a a layman's overview of what DDP means? Um, I say layman's, it says I can then explain it to people. <laughs> um, so yeah. did, you, did you do that, Fiona? Because you you've been on both sides, haven't you? I, I think. Well, for me, it's it's uh, it's the principles of. Um, playful, accepting, having curiosity and having empathy. And that sounds pretty straightforward. Tricky to do. Um, and you've gotten, I think it's, it's not a technique, it's a way of being, isn't it? And I think that's what people find hard um, sometimes to keep going with it. Um, because it's quite easy to get much, much if you if you if you have a really tough time, quite often you yourself become really boundaried and so on. You be, yeah. you become tenser and so on. Uh, and the other thing that happens is whatever you've been told in the groups, when you're under pressure, you hear your mother or father's voice come out your mouth. Don't you? <laughs> you <know>? The wagging <laughs> you finger. You treat this place like a hotel. <laughs> it's one for me. Yeah. Uh, and and I think that. Understand and pace it as much as I do, and Helen has got will have a much more scientific um, uh, and much more experienced in that. Is I I think what it's helped me with is understanding 
you know, if you have birth children, you sort of pass on your idiosyncrasies, you know, you, you can see where they come from. And I think when we are parenting children who've had adverse experience early in life, that doesn't necessarily work. So we're having to do to do pace with my children and, and, and look at look at them differently. As I think it's I think it's made us a better family because we've had to sort of undo stuff that we just you know we would normally have done. Just simple things about one thing was used to be with my husband is it really used to annoy him that um, he came from a family where his money was really short and he worked in a butcher shop and his part of his wages was meat and uh, he had a big, big hang up um, if the kids didn't want to eat, you know, um, what we prepared. I came from a family where my mom was much, you know, she just, she was from a minor family and she just made food all the time but that was a sort of tension for us and we had to look back and look at our own attachment history so I think it gives you an opportunity to sort of you know why is one person reacting that how can we get around that who can deal with things better like husband was great when the police was coming around the door for my oldest son when he was a young teenager and so on. he you know he just wasn't bothered about that at all he just took them on etc etc um so I, I just think it, it, it's taught me that you have to be differently and, and have to be very, very flexible. An easy example would be, you know, with children who steal from you, which a lot of people, when you're talking to adopters, foster carers, that's been a big thing in their family in the past. If you stole and then you lied about it, you know, that was sort of a major thing in the family. And you've got that contained within you. But then when if you can look back and understand the behaviour and then realise these children had to go, my my oldest talks about going, um, wait until people were drunk, etc. in his house, taking money and going down to Littles and Oldie and buying food and we've gone back there and looked at that place. You get a different aspect of people stealing for survival and so on. So I think that's what's opened my eyes by understanding PACE as much and, and DDP as much as I do. We have to be much more flexible and just start from unmet needs that a lot of these children have had and how we can resolve some of these things for them in, a, in, a, in an empathic way. Mm. And I think it's so, it's so interesting hearing hearing that from you, Fiona, because one of the things that made it take a long time for us to get this trial funded was that actually DDP is really different from a lot of therapies in that sense. I think you put that across really beautifully, Fiona, that the whole aim is to get, is basically to get the parents to take, to be able to take the reins. So it's not about you as a therapist kind of therapying the child in the room once a week. Mm. It's about you working with the parents to they, so that they can then take what they're learning about, particularly about the links between children's early experiences and their current behaviour, take it away and just and, and use your own family techniques for making that work on a day-to-day -day basis 24-7. And I think um, one of the things that kind of raised um, tackles and other therapists is that sense of... Um, 
I've been really open with the child about how difficult early experiences might have impacted on their current behaviour, not not waiting for that to come from the child. Because often these children will not, um, they're not going to make that relationship in their own mind and they're not going to be able to speak it out. Because as you say, Fiona, a lot of these kids really don't know how to articulate their emotions and they're not able to link their behaviours with what's happened in the past and then they need that to be made overt for them. And I think that was actually quite a, quite a new thing to do. Mm. So the, the way it works in practice and the way that we're doing it in the study is that um, there's a few weeks where it's just the therapist and the parent really trying to understand where the child's behaviour is coming from. And then when the child comes into the room, there's always some communication on a weekly basis with the parent in advance so mm. that they can be thinking what's been happening this week how might the past have impacted on that and then that's the basis for actually working in the room and you know using that pace ethos mm. and it seems to be that for most of the therapists in the trial it's taking kind of up to about six months of weekly weekly work okay that's interesting i i think what what i really like about this is is kind of the idea that it's about actually upskilling the parents to to support their children um, with the introduction of the adoption support fund what I've certainly seen in my research is that we as parents are in in effect we're being downskilled because we are asking other professionals to support our children because they need it but then they're the ones who are sort of building those bridges and resolving those issues we as parents are still left in the dark going, yeah, but I don't know how you got from A to E. What was the steps in in between? And now I don't know if, if we're in that difficulty again, I don't know how to help my child again. So I think what I quite like about this as a, as a concept is it's going to give parents the opportunity to, to actually upskill and be able to support their children. Um, and I think maybe feel like you're adding value um, in your family homes. And I really hope that Richard, that I really hope that families will get that sense, whichever arm of the child they end up in. Because if if you're randomised to services as usual, we know across the UK that that's many and varied. Yes. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes it's purely working with your social worker. Sometimes it's it's. Um, being referred for other therapies. But one of the things, one of the bits of feedback that we've had from this work, this study and also previous studies is because it's a research project, right at the beginning, the first thing that happens before there's any therapy is a really detailed discussion about your child. Mm. And we've had feedback from parents that that in itself really, you know, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> you're being asked questions sometimes that you've never been asked before, but that makes sense. Yeah, that in itself helps you think. Gosh, you know this is, you know, you understand your child better. Yeah, and I, I think, I think that's really interesting actually because it's the same as when you're going through the assessment to become a, a parent. You're asked about what type of parent you want to be, and it makes you start to think about those things in a very different way. So I guess this this questionnaire that you're talking about will do exactly the same thing. It's going to help people to just look at look at their child not differently but from a different approach to try and understand better what's what's going on there um which i think sounds sounds really interesting um 
so talk to me about about the study you said you're looking to support is it 150 families will it be 140 140 140 there's my listening skills at their top (laughs) Um, 150 that's even better (laughs) and so the 140 families um talk to me about what what's your criteria for for these families to to join your study so um to be eligible um you need to be an adoptive family or a permanent foster family the reason we've said permanent foster um families is because we want these to be forever families you know we want these to be families where the child knows that this is this is their family yeah children aged five to twelve mm-hmm. with and we've deliberately been vague about this because as Fiona said so beautifully earlier you know the these children's problems are many and varied and sometimes are very subtle so any kind of um mental health or relationship problems um in the child so you know a family who's seeking some kind of support um and 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 basically um the the only uh, the the only kind of exclusion criteria are if there's real risk a real kind of imminent risk of adoption or foster um, placement breakdown or or if um if the family or the, the social worker is really pretty convinced that actually the problems are mainly um, psychological problems in the parents, which yeah. actually is very rarely the case, but yeah. every now and then it yeah. is. Um, so, and yeah, if I'm saying anything, Fiona, I think that's about it, isn't it? No, no, apart, well, apart from the, the big criteria is where you actually live in the country where the trial has <laughs> taken place, because you don't want to... <laughs> I think if, if we just said it was everywhere, we'd have a thousand by tonight, wouldn't we? <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, so that, I mean, that's... Um, and it's really exciting because for a long time there was just two or three sites, but it's now sort of developed and um, um, blossomed a bit. But there is that criteria of where you live, whether the trial is taking place in your area. And yeah. What, what areas are, are they? I knew you were just going to ask that. Yeah. <laughs> if you just give me a moment, I will I will tell you exactly where. No worries. Um, yeah, so the first, the first three sites were Lanarkshire in Scotland, Oxfordshire and um, sort of the area around Milton Keynes. Yep. Um, and now we've actually expanded. I think we're going to end up with something like 17 sites. It's, it's incredible. If you just give me a second, I will list them for you. <laughs> and what I, would say, what I would say actually as well is if you're a family that's not in one of the sites, but it's a, in a site somewhere near there, it's worth talking to us because um, we've um, basically what we're, we've had to basically base, base our sites on, on where there are actually DDP therapists. Yes. But sometimes DDP providers have said, well, they could possibly take someone out, out of area, but we'd have to negotiate that. Yeah. So, yeah, so Oxfordshire, um, Milton Keynes area, so Hertfordshire, Central Bedfordshire, Bedford, uh, Lanarkshire in Scotland, um, East Midlands, um, the area is covered by adoption, East Midlands, South Yorkshire, West Midlands, uh, Nottingham, Norfolk, Bradford... And hopefully very soon, Norfolk, um, uh, sort of, sorry, no, so there's Norfolk fostering and hopefully very soon Nor- Norfolk adoption as well. Very, very soon we'll have Birmingham on board. Um, hopefully we'll soon have Sheffield, Rotherham and Barnsley. Um, South London. 
uh, and two sites in Wales, so South East Wales and Vale Valleys in Cardiff. Um, we're we're trying to get on board. When I say trying to get on board, it's there's a lot of paperwork. Yeah. To get students on board. Yeah. So everyone's working really hard to get through all those governance barriers. Definitely. But that's quite quite a, a broad geographical area, isn't it? So the, the the hope is definitely that there are people that are listening that that would be able to sort of reach out and and access that. Um, and I think you said it was starts at six months. How long is the study for? A, so obviously I'm not eligible, but let's just say I was. So I I reach out to you. What what can I expect as a parent? What's what's going to happen for me as a parent going through this study? Or yeah, a family, so, rather. Yeah, you'd be contacted by one of our research nurses, actually. We've got really experienced research nurses. And um, what they will do is they'll do usually like a Zoom or Teams um, interview and just go through all the questions with you. It's just like a chat, really. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also a part of that where they'll talk to the child. We've, we've actually been working with a group of really amazing young people in their 20s who themselves were in adopt or foster placements. And they've developed a tool called the My World Game, okay. which is basically a kind of online, it's like an online jam board. And the, the young person, the child gets to, to see who goes in their middle circle and who goes a bit further out, who's important to you, not just people, pets and places as well. Um, so, yeah, so the child gets a chance to to have their say nice. and um, and that so that happens before you're actually um randomized to either ddp or services as usual and regardless of which arm of the trial you're in after that there'd be a check-in phone call three months later at six months at nine months just to find out really whether your goals are being met mm. um and then at, at 12 months all important follow-up where it's just a repeat of the same yeah. On interview. Oh, okay. And so from from that sort of twelve month period, obviously we're gonna set some goals of what we're looking to achieve, what we're hoping to achieve. I might be in the group that gets DDP. Did you say there's then the group that might not get that, but they're getting other well, we support? Don't, or? Yeah, we wouldn't see we wouldn't see it as like getting DDP or not getting DDP. We're basically trying to compare yeah. best practice, services as usual with something that might might be even better, but we don't know yet. Yeah. So I think it's really important that um, it's not a case of you get it or you don't. It's basically, you, you know, you're going to get you're, a service. You're, you're getting some support. You'll, get, you'll be getting some support. It's just whether you get the, the kind of weekly DDP support. Yeah. And we don't know whether that's the right thing for these kids yet. No, and I, I, I guess that's one of the that's main aims of this, of this study, isn't it? Exactly. So, okay, so... At the end of this study, once you've studied your 140 families, let's say for argument's sake, it came back and it said, do you know what, the the research is there, it's confirmed, DDP is really, really valuable to our families. What's the, what's the utopian result of that being mm, our... Yeah, I mean, if that happens, we will be talking to NICE, We'll be talking to the National Institute of Clinical Excellence and saying, you recommend this treatment. And we'll be talking to commissioners and saying, you know, really, you need to be commissioning this. If it works, if it works, it's cost effective. The NHS should be providing it. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, wouldn't it be lovely? I mean, this is the first, um, really is the first trial in this particular space. 
But my utopian view would be in 10 years' time when there's been this trial and there's been other trials because there are other treatments out there that are really hopeful too, you wouldn't need the Adoption Support Fund because these kids would be getting treatment in the NHS yeah. and that's what should be happening. But the problem is we don't know what the treatment should be yet. No. So it's then it becomes a, a challenge of signposting, doesn't it? Of, <laughs> yes, you're going through something. I think that's been one of the big things... Um, that we found so far is the actual, not only we knew there was a postcode lottery, but the pathways and every, you know, so many different, every local authority is different, each country is different. Um, there's no clear ways of actually how you get support. So actually the fact that we've evidenced that, and the, I mean, it was really quite shocking, wasn't it, Helen? It was worse than we imagined. Of, of, it's just chance sometimes where the people get services and so absolutely, on. Absolutely horrendous. And to be honest, you know, normally when I, like, I've, I've run other randomised controlled trials and it's nerve-wracking because you think, what if the treatment, the new treatment is actually worse than what was happening before? And you worry about that because we don't know that's why you're doing the study. But I don't feel like that with this trial because as you say, Fiona, we've already shown that in, so in the three pilot areas, which were Lanarkshire, Oxfordshire and you know, central bed, Hertfordshire, that kind of area. And and this is true right across the UK. It's they literally the network of possible services for this group of children looks like the map of a London underground. I mean, they, they literally do. And, and and you just think, you know, we've then taken, taken that, we've taken those pictures back to parents and to commissioners and we've said, what do you think about this? And, you know, you look at that and you think... This is what families are trying to navigate. And how ridiculous. Can you imagine? Imagine if you had a child with type 1 diabetes and you were supposed to actually work out who's going to treat your child with diabetes and it could take you years to find out who's giving you the right treatment and, you know, there's a snake oil salesman down there and then there's somebody... It, it would be it would be seen as absolutely unacceptable. And I, yeah. I think it's quite unacceptable that this group of children who've got some really big needs and the families that we just don't know what's the right treatment yeah i, I think the other the other thing that sorry Richard, no, carry on yeah the, the other thing is that you know there is a lot more even from five ten years ago people are talking much more openly about trauma and people everyone's trauma informed etc but what came out in the research any research that we've done is these are complicated group of children in the main they've got you know and there's the I think from the cortisol research we did, there were things that we could do that could really help and improve the quality of these children's lives, you know, that weren't particularly to do with trauma in that sense. Um, so I, I, I think the, the, sometimes the danger, that's the sort of current buzzword at the moment, but there's even stuff like um, dyslexia and so on. Etc. Etc. There's all sorts of things that came up with that that group of children that they were able to get help with to make their life easier, um, and we wouldn't have picked that out if we hadn't done the studies. So you can't just take a, you know, a, just a, a sort of blinker view that it has to just be trauma that we're talking about with this group of children. In my view, I think that honestly, Fiona, I think that is such an important point because. We've done other research that's, and, and actually the cortisol research was the first study that really showed this. We've done other research since that's shown that, you know, this group of children's at much higher risk of having problems like autism and ADHD than the rest of the population. 
but often they don't get the services because people assume that their problems are due to their early maltreatment and actually quite often so i mean i think often these problems these kids have got complex problems but they're not necessarily complicated problems so even if all we could do in this study is really shine a very strong light on that and demonstrate to the nhs that these are kids who you know we can treat we've you know we can help mm. and should be finding ways of redesigning the services so they can get the help they need that would be a real win to be honest regardless of what we find out about whether ddp specifically works we still find out a lot about about how we could um, reorganise services for this this group of families. I think definitely, and I think it's nice that that families will be able to see that things are moving forward. There's an opportunity moving forward, and that I actually now I, there's a bit of light at the end of the tunnel. I know where to go. <laughs> um, I hope so. Yeah. I, I think you can probably hear from the passion and and me and Fiona's voices. That we're determined to do what we can for this group of families and I think for the for the study to succeed um really you know all, all we need is families to to join us and it's great that we've got 50 52 families already joining us but uh yeah um, the more the more that the more families that can that can come and join us in this effort then the more we're going to be able to find out that will help future families I think it's the same as anything, isn't it? You're going to need those numbers so as you can get that research and you can get... Because it's all about data. Um, mm-hmm. you, you need as much data as possible to demonstrate your point. So, yeah, I mean, when we were in the meeting and you sort of shared shared about this project, I, I wholeheartedly agree that it's something that families need to be getting in touch with you and, and need to be sort of helping to get this study complete. Has there been um, any um, friction, any challenges or any sort of difficulties getting, obviously, I know that you're at 52 at the moment. Has there been anything stopping that number rising rapidly or is anyone concerned? Or, like... Honestly, I think I think the only thing that's been um, slowing us is governance. I mean, it's just this okay. You know, it's just, and and to be honest, I think in some ways the challenges of getting the research off the ground in each of these areas mirrors the challenges that families face. Yeah. You know, does this sit within health? Does it fit within social care? Does it fit within the third sector? And and so you know we're having to fill in forms for each of those and memorandum of understandings and things to get it going in each site. But actually, it really just mirrors that this is this is what families face. Yeah, and actually, it's really helped shift things when we've said that to to some of the senior people in the organisation. <laughs> but I, I guess you're absolutely right. Is again, you you we're at that hitting your head against a brick wall moment of we know what we want to achieve here. Why why are we jumping through seven hoops when one would have been fine? Okay. <laughs> um, okay. I, think, I think the other thing, I, I suppose we hit a bit of a block, didn't we, during COVID, Helen, of, of how services were going to be actually, whichever service, whether it was going to be DDP or services usual. I think there's been, there's, in general, there's a slowness to go back to the sort of face-to-face services. So I think that's, we, we were told really sharply we need to get our act together to, to change that sort of lull we had from just after COVID. And I think that all these other sites coming on board has been really great because we could have ended up just sort of being at the back of things. 
had to be more responsive about getting more sites open and so on because I think in general services, whether it's health service, education, social work, they have been slow to get back into action. I think and that's true. If, sorry. No, no, I was just going to just agree with you. I think, I think actually things are starting to unstick. Yeah. Which is oh, that's really, really good to, to hear as well. Um, but I, I agree, obviously, so many services have slowed down, but the, the hope is we're now seeing the end of that and, and actually things can move forward, which is really, really positive. Um, excellent. So, Helen, if people are interested in joining the study, getting to be a part of the study, how, how do they find out more? What What's the next step for, for a family? So if they have a social worker, then get in touch with their social worker first because we keep in touch with all the local social workers and uh, that would be the way to do it. If you're a family that isn't currently in touch with social work, then you can self-refer. And what I'll do, Richard, is I'll actually send you the details. We've got a QR code and things like that. Um, Amazing. And Yeah. So it's, it should be easy, hopefully. <laughs> Fingers are crossed. Um, but no, that's um, that's brilliant. And what I'll do, I'll make sure that it goes out onto all of our sort of social media sort of platforms as well. Um, and I'll put the link in the episode bio so as people can sort of access that as well. Um, so I think that'd be really, really exciting. Um, before we kind of wrap up, was there anything else that you wanted to just touch base on, just to let anyone know about, or anything that we may have missed that you want to sort of get in there? It's all, you know. Lovely. Um, <laughs> I just didn't want us to stop stop the episode and you go, oh, no. <laughs> well, no, I think, I think you've... I think it's been pretty comprehensive, actually. It's I, I think it's been a fantastic chat, and I think um, I think the study is brilliant, and I think trying to establish what are good options and good routes for families, that's a wonderful, wonderful vision, and uh, I think the study is going to do some some great things to, to help families moving forward. So I'm I'm particularly excited to, to sort of keep keep track of how it's all going. So so I think that's going to be great. Thanks um, so much, Richard. Yeah, thanks for giving us the opportunity to talk about it because we're really passionate about it. It's been all, great. Always a pleasure. And the passion is, is you're right, passion is oozing through on uh, on both of you. So it's, and that's that's really wonderful. So, so yeah. Um, but yeah, Helen and Fiona, thank you so much for, for being guests on the podcast. It's been uh, really lovely talking to you. Um, I'll leave details of how to get in touch with you guys. Um, so as if anyone wants to um, sort of take you up on this, they can get in touch and find out more. Um, but yeah, we, we all wish you the, the best of luck with it. And perhaps once you've got the results of your study, you can come back on the podcast and let us know. Um, let us know what your findings are. Um, that'd be great, yeah? Awesome. Thanks, Richard. Thank you. Thanks.